Hey, murder lovers, my name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina. And you are listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. If you guys would leave ratings and reviews on iTunes, you can also leave them on Facebook. If you're a Spotify or iHeartRadio user that doesn't allow ratings, you can head over to our Facebook page and leave a rating and recommendation on there. But ratings and reviews in iTunes would also be greatly appreciated. Murder lovers, we really want to thank you. We recently hit 10,000 listens. And we were so excited, beyond measure. We were not expecting that to happen so soon. And for everyone that has left a review, told a friend, we really appreciate you hitting that milestone so soon into the podcast. We are beyond excited, and we wanted to thank you not only in the social media post, but on the podcast. Thank you very, very much. We love you all. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Today, I am going to be telling you one of my favorite. Favorite? Yeah. Only because it's so publicized and there's been a lot of coverage on it. And it was something that kept the spotlight for a while just because the details on it are so fascinating Mm -hmm. that I almost took pride in the fact that I think I know almost all the details in this case. Did you know all the details before you even started researching it? Yeah. Okay. Because I actually, I, I don't know all of the details on this one, so I'm kind of excited to hear about it. Because I know a lot about it, but yeah. I don't know all the nitty gritty. It's, there's a lot. Movie writers couldn't make this shit up. I mean, there's just so much, so many details. Mm. With no further ado, today I will bring you the case of Jody Arias. Except not cheering for Jody Arias. No. <laughs> Just to clarify. I will say this about this case that I am originally from Arizona. So I was already in Oregon when this hit. But there's something about something happening so close to your in your home state, you know, drags you in and you want to know more of the details and right. what was it that happened so close to home? Right. You know, and I'm sure it wasn't just me. A lot of people were enthralled in this case because this girl was pretty. And well, and she was a female to start with. Right. Yeah, so we had a female and she was really pretty. And then what launched it all, I think, why the news started picking it up and why people started getting more involved in this was because her mugshot, of all things, she used that as an opportunity to get the attention that she wanted, mm-hmm. if you remember. And I, we'll post a picture of this, but she was smirking in her, in her mugshot, thinking that it was like a glamour shot or something. Paris Hilton style. Oh, gosh. <laughs> remember hers but actually jody looked cleaned up in this picture and well yeah so because she knew it was going to be a permanent documentation uh, <laughs> it's like your id like any mugshot <laughs> you don't get clammed for yours <laughs> you don't get another one okay weirdo chloe <laughs> jody arias was born on july 9th 1980 in salinas california Now, the victim in this case is Chavez Victor Alexander, and he was born in Riverside, California on July 28th, 1977. 
A lot of places refer to him as Alexander and her as Arius. I, on the other hand, will be talking about them by first name. Okay. To start off, Travis had a very, very rough childhood. He was one of eight children. Both of his parents were alcoholics, and he was also beat a lot as a child, and they grew up very poor. Eventually, his grandmother took all of the kids in and introduced them to religion, to the Church of Latter-day Saints. Okay. And Travis liked this because he saw that a lot of people in that church, in that community, were successful, had a structured life, and they seemed to have meaning in life. Okay. And how old was he? Sorry. So, at this point, he was a teenager. Okay. When, went in with grandmother and so was introduced it was, to it Mormonism. Was basically an introduction to all the things that he felt like he was missing in exactly. his family. Okay. So, he felt comfort in that. He... Security. Found role models. Okay. So, he was determined to not be like his parents and make himself a successful career-having man. Okay. At the age of 18, Travis decided to complete his mission... He did his two-year mission in Denver, Colorado. After his mission ended, he returned to his grandmother's house in Southern California, where he found a job at Prepaid Legal Services. Prepaid Legal Services is a multi-level company. Because he was so well-spoken and because he had the experience of cold-talking to people during his mission work, he was very successful at recruiting people and he made it up the chain really quickly. Okay. Travis and Jody met in Las Vegas during a conference for the prepaid legal services on September of 2006. Jody had been recruited to attend the PPL conference, the prepaid legal services, and on the first night of the conference, they usually had a gala where all the executives were given two tickets, one for themselves and one for a guest. And most of the men, of course, took their wives. Mm -hmm. And Travis, he had this ticket. He did not have a girlfriend or anyone to invite with him. And some of the co-workers had let him know about Jody, this cute young girl that was at the conference by herself. Who was available. Who was available. So he invited her that night to the gala. Okay. They hit it off. Travis, of course, has this cute blonde girl as his arm candy for the night, and Jody is loving the attention. At this point in his life, Travis had found success in career. He had a five-bedroom house. He had the cars. He had friends. He had his church family. He had family. And he knew what he wanted in life. And mm -hmm. that was to eventually find a Mormon girl to settle down with, have a life. But this, he was struggling with being a very eligible bachelor who mm -hmm. was young, successful, good looking. And although his religion says to not have sex until marriage, he was not abiding by that. And he was having premarital sex. The opportunities were there. Right. I mean, they're having conferences in Vegas, for God's sake. So, <laughs> right. I mean. <laughs> right. There's going to be, there's going to be alcohol, there's going to be girls, there's going to be drugs, there's going to be everything that you need to have a great time. Right. <laughs> Jody and Travis at that point had completely hit it off. 
Jody started having or showing some of that crazy side right off the bat. <laughs> All the women are like, can't relate. Yeah. <laughs> she lived in California. He had a house in Mesa, Arizona. She knew right away, you know, I like this guy, but they would be having a long distance relationship and quickly found out, of course, that he was, he was a Mormon and less than two months after meeting Travis, Jody was baptized into the Latter-day Saints church. Her sponsor was Travis. So he like recruited mm-hmm. her. Not Is recruited that the word that you, I don't know what word you um, use. Well, sponsored. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. He sponsored her, and he was there. There's pictures of them together at her baptism. So she was baptized in November 2006. By February 2007, this is when they officially started dating. And Jody moved to Mesa, Arizona to be with Travis. That whirlwind of a relationship lasted no more than June of 2007. It's reported that because they had a very highly sexual relationship, Travis did not see Jody as a potential life partner or a wife or the wife material that he was envisioning in his life. This is when they broke it off. He was going to try and rectify what he had done and be... That's fair. You know, that's what he was thinking. And that's what his friends say was happening at that point, or he vocalized to them. That he wanted to make some major changes. Right. Fair. Okay. She remained in Arizona until April of 2008. And at that point, she moved back to California with her grandparents, back to Northern California. None of Travis's friends or church family quite approved of Jody. They always had a gut feeling that something was off with her and that their relationship was not healthy for either of them. And then he also confided in some of them that she was stalking him and she would, quote, force her way into the house either by punching in the key to the garage door or going in through the doggy door in the back of the house. And then either climbing into his living room couch and sleeping there so he'll find her in the morning or she would just climb into bed with him naked to try and lure him to have sex. Oh, no. At this point in April, when Jody had moved back to California, Travis thought that he would have time to refine himself and reestablish his good standing in the church. Like I said, he was you know telling his friends and family that this is almost like a like a new beginning for him, and he was glad that she had moved away. So life went on for Travis. This included a work trip that would be coming up in June of that same year. At the beginning of the year, he did plan on taking Jody, And then he emailed the coordinators or communicated somehow that Jody would no longer be his companion on this trip. Instead, he invited a fellow church member named Mimi Hall. Nice young lady. He wanted to pursue her romantically. And they had been on a couple dates She told him, I just want to be friends at this point. You know, I don't want anything else. He's Mm -hmm. like, no, that's fine. Just come enjoy this trip with me. I just want to spend time with you. Jody found out about it somehow. Oh, no. (laughs) We, not we, I'm not part of the investigation team. (laughs) 
Here's what we did. <laughs> here's, oh, here's our next step. So it's believed that this was obviously her trigger, her stressor. She thought... Her snapped he, moment. Right. She felt betrayed. She felt that he had moved on. If I can't have you, no one else can. Kind of thing. Yeah. The trip was to Cancun, Mexico. Oh, so all paid, all expenses paid kind yeah, of Yeah, not romantic at all. But, I mean, it's all co-workers, though. Well, okay. okay maybe it's, maybe a little, but. She was like, we're going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> so leading up to the trip, Mimi had not been able to get a hold of Travis for a couple days. But if some, if you're going with someone on a trip like this, you're going to want to get in touch with them, talk out logistics, specifics. where yeah. are we going, where are we meeting, what can I take, I don't know, you know what I yeah. mean, what do I need to take? What so, time is the flight? Exactly. Yeah. Are we flying, driving, I guess, maybe because they're in Arizona? I don't know. So either way, she can't get a hold of them. Right. As they're getting closer and closer to the date, at this point, she's thinking, he's probably standing me up, mm-hmm. or what the hell else is going Ghosted. on? Ghosted. I don't know if Ghosted existed back in 2008. <laughs> they just didn't have a name for it yet. It existed, but there was not a name. Mimi went to Travis's house because he was not answering his phone, wasn't answering emails, wasn't answering texts. So she just went to his house and knocked on the door. No answer. Car was there. Dog was barking. Calls a couple other friends that they have in common. Hey, have you heard from Travis? She's still at the front door at this point. No, we haven't heard from Travis. They hear her her concern, so they come over. They start knocking on the door. No answer. They call another friend. Have you heard from Travis? He's like, no, but I know his garage key code. So they punch in the key code. Uh Uh-oh. They go into the house through the garage they open the first door, and they are hit with the pungent smell. Ugh. They go and try Travis's door. No answer. He has two roommates. Oh, no. He has two roommates? They go and knock on one of the roommate's doors. The roommate answers the door to their bedroom. What? Yeah. The roommate is home. Oh, and the friends and they're like, "Yo, him, have homie, you seen Travis? Do you smell what's coming out of your apartment?" Well, first he's like, "No, Travis is on his trip. They got the dates wrong. They're probably I don't know. Yeah, they think he's out of town. Right, he's out of town." And then they're like, "No, the trip is tomorrow on June tenth." Mm-hmm. And then he so at that point they're like, "What the hell?" And the roommate had a spare key to Travis's room. He opens the door. Immediately, the walls are covered in blood. He has, like, the master bedroom. So there's a hall, a mini hall, into his own bathroom. Mm-hmm. There's blood up and down the hall. He walks into his bathroom and sees Travis on the shower floor. Completely covered in blood. Does the- he... Ever explain why he ignored the smell? Yes. Okay. So right. you're gonna bring me back to that. A little bit. Okay. So he immediately runs out, panicking. Yeah. And the friends had stayed outside the door. Uh-huh. Smart. They immediately he's like, call 911 are the first words out of his mouth. Travis is dead. Someone picks up their phone, calls 911, is calling it in. 
and the 911 dispatcher is asking routine questions. Mm-hmm. Was he suicidal? Was there anyone that you think could hurt him? Did he have any enemies? Is he breathing? Well, at that point, she had already asked those oh. preliminary questions. Right. And one of the friends, without batting an eye, says, yeah, his ex-girlfriend, Jody Arias. <laughs> yeah. The police come, investigators come. They see that he's obviously dead. And the scene shows savagery. Like It's a mess. Mm-hmm. There's no cleanup attempt. There's blood everywhere. There's pools of blood. There's a lot of evidence in this house. But it's very clearly like a crime of passion type thing. Yes. Okay. He had, you ready for this? Yeah. 27 stab wounds. Ooh. His throat was slashed ear to ear to the point where he was almost decapitated. And to top it all off, he was also shot on the right temple. Wait, she shot him and stabbed him and cut his throat? Yep. That seems very excessive. Yep. I wonder in what order. We'll get to that. Oh, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was on June 9th that his body was discovered. So now I'm going to go back in time and fill in some blanks, make some sense of some things, and clarify you into a little bit of what the fuck Jody was thinking. Okay. To keep the timeline straight, June 9th is when Travis's body was found. On May 28th, so about 11 days earlier, a burglary was reported at Jody's grandparents' house where she had been staying. The items stolen were a DVD player, a little bit of cash, but most notably a 25 caliber gun. Hmm. None of the items were ever recovered. Hmm. Suspicious. Now knowing what we know, it's speculated that Jody herself staged this burglary. And she is the one that actually stole the gun to use herself as a weapon against Travis. At the beginning of June, Jody had plans to visit a male friend in Utah. She was planning on driving there. She rented a vehicle from Budget Rent-A-Car, a white Ford Focus, in Redding, California. And on June 2nd, she reported to Budget Rent-A-Car that she would be driving the vehicle locally. Days before the trip, she reached out to her ex-boyfriend, asking him to borrow two five-gallon gas cans. There's also receipts showing that Jody bought a third five-gallon gas can on June 3rd. I don't know a single ex-boyfriend that I would reach out to to ask to borrow gas cans from. Be like, Good. oh, I know so-and-so <laughs> would have a plethora of gas cans. <laughs> and you know what I'm thinking is maybe this guy had like ATVs or something or just something that was gas-powered. I have no idea. But yeah. there's receipts showing that Jody purchased gas at two different gas stations in Nevada, four minutes apart, seemingly on her way to Utah. I'm using air quotes, guys. She left California on June 2nd. And got to Utah on June the 5th to see her male friend. And when investigators talked to him, he said that she was her normal happy self when she got there. But he did notice a couple things that were a bit odd and worth mentioning. She had gone from being a platinum blonde 
to dark brown hair. Yeah, I thought she was always a brunette and then showed up one day to trial as a platinum blonde, just like as a... She was never blonder in the trial. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Learning well, something new. They don't do that at the jail salon. <laughs> I almost spit out my Diet Coke. <laughs> really? They don't do platinum blonde at the They're new- like, no, 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 you get basic No, colors. sweetie. <laughs> you only get stuff you can get at the dollar store here. All right. So he also noticed that she had bandages on her fingers, which Jody explained that she got the cuts while she was bartending back at her job in California. Mm-hmm. A likely story, Jody. You don't cut yourself on four fingers. Was it four? Yeah. So I was looking at my fingers like, hmm. <laughs> Sorry, she's a fucking moron. On June 5th, the day that she got to Utah, mm-hmm. and I just... I just thought this was crazy because it happens with a lot of the cases that we cover that they always seem to have some type of run-in with the law that's completely unassociated with what the actual crime is. And so they just have this run-in that's just super casual and they seem to get away. So on June 5th, the day that she got to Utah... An officer pulled her over because the rental car that she was driving was not only missing the front license plate, but the rear license plate was upside down. Okay. So Jody told the officer that some kids at a Starbucks were playing a trick on her. At this point, Travis's body had not been found yet. Mm-hmm. And there was no reason to suspect or hold Jody for any other reason. So the police officer was just really helpful, helped her fix the license plate, and let her go on her merry way. The nicer you are, the police are like, oh, finally, somebody not giving me a hard time or whatever. And they're just like more likely to send you along your way. Right. Because they just, they want to be treated nice too. Right. Yeah. So she, she totally charmed her way out of this. And she did this a lot. She thought she could charm her way and flirt her way through an entire fucking murder trial, too. Yeah. She, she really did. Yeah, she thought she was going to get off on yeah, her looks. absolutely. She did return the rental vehicle on June 7th. Again, Travis's body has not been found at this point. And it had been driven a total of 2,800 miles. Not exactly local. Not very local, unless you just drive in circles. All day long. five days. Yeah. It was missing all of its floor mats. And there were suspiciously red stains on the floor, but they could never be confirmed if it was blood. It is a rental car. So they so, weren't exactly analyzing for blood. No. Yeah. And So by then the car's been rented out to other been people. Been rented out, been cleaned out. The rental company couldn't even confirm whether or not the car was given to her with floor mats. Yeah. So them missing wasn't a um, a key piece of evidence or anything. Right. Circumstantial. Correct. So we know she's a moron. <laughs> and Lesson number one that we've learned. Oh, my gosh. And she had the forethought to get these gas cans from the ex-boyfriend, thinking that she wouldn't be leaving a paper trail going through Arizona. Oh, Okay, well, interesting. By having these three gas cans, she could clearly go into Arizona, 
drive back out and never have to pay for gas while in Arizona. Ah, that's actually a really interesting strategy. Yep. She was trying to do that, but... Her ex-boyfriend was like... (laughs) So this little tidbit here, though, of the gas cans and the receipts that were later discovered by the prosecution, Mm. this was the most relevant piece of information that helped them try and prove premeditation. So what she was doing to try and prevent her getting caught is actually probably what got her a longer sentence. Yeah. Ah, the irony. Yes. I love it. During her road trip, or presumably what would have been her road trip to Utah, another thing that she kept doing to try and cover her tracks or try and shake, I guess, suspicion from her in the future mm-hmm. was that she repeatedly called Travis's phone, leaving voicemails. Why aren't you calling me back? He was dead at this point. And she was leaving voicemails on his phone. Yeah, harass him. That'll make you look less suspicious. Well, no. They were voicemails that are like, where are you? Why aren't you calling me back? Okay, let me know. You know, just call me back when you can. I know you're going on your trip soon. Was she flipping the license plates to prevent them from getting caught on camera? I think so. That's interesting. I think so. Because think the starbucks kids messing with her story well yeah because then if you ran it through a system or whatever it it wouldn't wouldn't auto populate Mm -hmm. because yeah it wouldn't be able to recognize it this lady smart until you get yourself pulled over for it right she also was accessing his voicemail system to make sure that no one was listening to the voicemails and that there wasn't any suspicion on her yet or and and i think my theory is that she wanted to see if maybe people had become worried on about him mm. and see if someone was, you know, repeatedly leaving messages and whatnot. Right. Has anybody figured this out yet, basically? So now we're back to June 9th and forward after Travis's body has been discovered. The detectives did a very thorough search of the crime scene and of his house. And one of... The most damning pieces of evidence that they found, along with others, but my, again, I use favorite loosely, but one of my favorite is that there was a brand new digital camera that was in the washing machine, along with other clothes. Camera with an SD card in it, a memory card. Yeah. Although it took the detectives and experts a couple of weeks to get the images off, Mm-hmm. They found them. They were date stamped and time stamped when they were all taken. The pictures on the memory card showed very sexually explicit photos, not only of Jody but also of Travis. One of the pictures is Jody spread eagle on the bed with two braids on. Yeah. I'll come back to that. Okay. There was a picture of Travis in bed, naked, bottle of lube next to him. Like, the, they were the, just... Were they... Cons- did they appear to be consensually... Very consensual. Okay. Those look consensual. What was the date and time stamp? What was the date so, and time stamp? I need to know. That was 2 p.m. on June 4th. This was the day he died? Yes. Oh. That was around, this, around 5 p.m. is when the last... A live picture of Travis was taken. There's dead pictures? The pictures of him alive are in the shower 
And again, they look consensual. They almost look posed where he is enjoying the shower, just letting the water hit him. And then the picture's timestamped at around 5.30 that day. And it's not well known how the camera may have taken accidental pictures, but it did. And they're damning as fuck. One of them, you can see Jody's foot, her very distinct, like, jogging pants. Mm-hmm. And Travis's bloody body on the floor. Oh, my gosh. Another picture of him in the shower dead. And she thought that just putting the camera in the washing machine was going to get rid of all this? I guess so. Oh. Oh, sweetie. You were doing it halfway okay there for a minute. There was a bloody palm print that was near the bathroom, an entire handprint, but the palm print was in blood. DNA results confirmed that it was a mixture of Jody's and Travis's DNA. The detectives also found a spent casing of a twenty-five caliber shell in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Jody is known for her bizarre behavior during this entire situation. But one of the things that to me really stood out is while the investigators were still doing, you know, their whole thing, talking to people, Jody, seemingly out of nowhere, reached out to the Mesa police detective and said, hey, I want to talk to you. Left a message for him. The detective, of course, called her back, and this is all recorded. And he goes, you know, this is Detective So-and-so from the Mesa Police Department. I got a message from you that you wanted to talk to me. How can I help? Or what do you know? Mm-hmm. And she goes on to say, well, I'm a friend of Travis's, and I just want to be as helpful as I can. And it's just so fucking bizarre. She puts herself on the radar oh, without absolutely. ever needing to. She was going to be anyway. Yeah. But this is her just demented way of, again, trying to cover up her tracks, you know, doing the gas can thing, phone calls, trying to get the attention away from her. But in the same time, she's dragging more attention to herself. At this point, the detectives are talking to all the friends, family, anyone that was in any way related or had an association with Travis, trying to rule everyone out. Some of the people that they, of course, needed to rule out right away were the roommates. Because, like you said, how can the roommates be in the house that right. with a decomposing body for five days and not notice it? The roommates did explain that their house was a typical bachelor pad. And they didn't really think much of it because it could have been dishes, it could have been dirty clothes... And they weren't home that much. They were also rolled out as suspects. And I will say, the roommate that was home said that he didn't hear the people knocking at the front door because he was in his room watching a movie. Okay. So that's his... Alibi? I guess it is. The house is really big. Okay. And so if they're at the front door, if there's not a doorbell, I can see how some knocking, if you're watching like an action movie, you're not going to hear it. I don't know what he was watching though. Got it. Okay. As the detectives were interviewing friends and family, at this point, trying to ruffle up who might have been 
who would be a suspect on this, a reoccurring theme was happening. They all kept mentioning the ex-girlfriend, the crazy ex-girlfriend, Jody Arias. On July 9th, exactly a month from when Travis's body had been found, a grand jury indicted Jody on a charge of first-degree murder. She was arrested at her grandparents' house on July 15, 2008. This is when the infamous interview happened with Jody. The detective sat her down and asked her about her road trip to Utah, and she was explaining to him what route she took and initially said that she got lost along the way and pulled over and slept in her car for about 10 hours. The detective did his job and let her talk herself into a hole and let her know right off the bat that no, her timeline was not possible and that there was holes in her story and that he thought it was very plausible that she actually went down to Mesa, Arizona within her drive time and still would have had time to kill Travis, get back on the road and be in Utah by 11 a.m. on the morning of June 5th. Jody was not budging from her story, and the detective kept confronting her with more and more information. He let her know that they had found the camera, and that at this time, he had already printed out the pictures and had them in a binder ready to show her. So it wasn't just a tactic that he was using. He mm -hmm. was ready to show her, like, hey, we fucking got you. Yeah. At this point, they had way more than enough to bring charges on her and to take her to court for this. Right. But, of course, like any case, like any other murder, we want to know the whys, the hows mm -hmm. from a confession. So the detective kept pushing her for that right. and kept trying to get this out of her. And they were never rough with her. They were always very matter-of-fact and saying, no, Jody, you're lying. We have this, this, right. and this. So they showed her the pictures of her naked on the bed, of him, the shower pictures, the accidental pictures. And she always seemed to have an answer for everything. How do she, you explain away photos of a dead body next to you? She said, yeah, that looks like very compelling evidence, but... That wasn't me. That's as simple okay. as she got. I, she's, but she always did it in a very like nonchalant, not sweating it. An unfazed. Not me. It wasn't me. And that was her game plan. Almost like, you're not going to see me react to this. Right. I'm not going to show you that you're getting to me or that this evidence, you That's know. That's really interesting. So she always maintained that attitude about her right you know uh casual. very soft-spoken casual and and didn't seem to be phased by it whatsoever so she always offered unnecessary details and almost like tangenty stories it's weird the detectives knew right off the bat that you know yeah this was over but on that first day that she was being interrogated the officer or the detective left the room and left Jody there. And again, this is one of the techniques. Maybe they'll talk to themselves about the crime or confess to themselves or talk about it out loud. And Jody 
started doing headstands against the wall. Oh my gosh, this is like Amanda Knox. Yeah. Yeah, Amanda did Knox did cartwheels in the oh, lobby. Oh, that's right. That's of right. The that's police right, station, right. and that was one of the things that they used against yes. her. So Jody was doing headstands in the inter- interrogation room while the detective Namaste. was in the room. <laughs> Someone's behavior after being accused of a crime or during a an abnormal situation like this is going to be the same, and a lot of times their reactions are bizarre and a bizarre, but. At the same time, yeah, headstands, but she never once asked, you know, why am I here? Or why do you think I did this? Or offered any other explanation other than this fake road trip. But anyway, I mean, she never asked that. Yeah. And a normal person, you would think. If you were being falsely accused, you'd be like, why are you holding me here? Yeah. So eventually they formally charged her. With the murder. And on the second day, the detective was going to give it another go. He was determined to get a confession from Jody, And again, they had enough evidence to already put it on her. But uh, there's just nothing like hearing it from... The horse's mouth. Yep. Well, then you have a surefire thing. Right. If you can get a confession, then it's a slam dunk. She had already spent one night in jail. And Jody. Finally seems to want to talk about it, and she gives the second version. Because the first one is, I was never there. I never stepped foot into Arizona. Mm -hmm. Now she finally gives the second version. She tells the detectives this. She was indeed at Travis's house. She confesses, I went to Arizona. I was hanging out with Travis. We were still having this relationship. We were having a romantic day. That explains the pictures. The photo shoot continued into the shower, and she was a couple of feet away from the shower taking pictures of Travis, and that out of fucking nowhere, two intruders bust in on his bathroom door. <laughs> a male and a female, both wearing ski masks. What? Pointing guns at them. Oh, my gosh. And she said she drops the camera, runs into a closet. The male comes in, is pointing the gun at her head. And then between the two intruders, they're going back and forth on whether or not they should keep her alive or kill her. Eventually, they land on don't kill her because that's not what they're there for. They're there for Travis. That she's so scared for her life. And that the male grabs her wallet, pulls out her vehicle registration card, and waves it in front of her saying, I know where you live now. Don't you ever, ever say anything about this or this is going to happen to your family. That's her story. (laughs) That's me clapping. Wow, somebody get her an Oscar because that's just the most creative playwright I've ever heard. That's pretty good. So original. So good. Ski masks. Oh, yeah. They're both wearing all black. Right. But at least she didn't make it racial. No, she had diversity in her casting. She she said white American. (laughs) Did she really? Yeah, she did. Okay. That's oddly specific. No. And some people speculate that the female that she kept talking about in the story was actually her. Her. Crazy. This entire time, Jodi is just having... 
diarrhea of the mouth and talking to the detectives and giving them the story and going back and forth on the story and, and saying that this is how it happened and she was really scared and she didn't, you know, say anything because she was scared and then the detective's like, okay, so what'd you do next? She's like, I drove to Utah. I finished my road trip to Utah. He's like, you couldn't talk to anyone? You couldn't call the police? You couldn't pull over a mile down the road and call the police? She's like, no, I was just so scared. Bullshit. Anyway. And then I called the police and I was like, how can I help you guys? Because I'm just a really good friend. <laughs> oh my God. What? So this entire time that she's talking, she hasn't asked for an attorney. So they're just letting her talk. Yeah. I'm not saying ask for an attorney, people, but ask for an attorney. (laughs) But anyways, they had enough on her anyway. Because she didn't have an attorney and because she thinks she's hot shit, while she's in jail waiting for her court date and all this, she's just having press conferences with news stations and one of the interviews was with inside edition love me some inside edition but this bitch says and i quote mark my words no jury would convict me and she says that like two or three times she's fucking nuts she's fucking nuts she has given court-appointed defense counsel (laughs) And like any defense, oh, she counsel, went court appointed. Huh? Yeah, I'm surprised some. She had no real, money. Yeah, but I'm surprised some defense attorney shark didn't snap that up pro bono or something. Why? The opportunity there. You have a oh. pretty woman that is going to go on trial. If nothing else, the publicity that would come from that. But at this point, she didn't know how to shut her mouth. True. Like she would be a nightmare to try and defend. Right. But so was Ted Bundy, and yet there were still he yes. had a legal team when he wasn't busy representing himself. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the defense counsel took it with a grain of salt and they were going to defend her just like anyone else deserves to be defended. But the defense counsel did say that she was a very needy client. He would get calls every single day from her, which is very unusual of a client. And she even went to the point of asking him to care for her cat back home. Yeah. He was really like, I have allergies. Requests, right? <laughs> That's like, what I would uh, say. I have, no, I I have, have allergies. Own, I can't. Sorry, I'm busy <laughs> defending it, your crazy ass. Oh, shit. So, like any defense counsel, I mean, this is his job. He's going to try and find an angle to work with. And the what, crazy defense seems pretty strong here. Yeah. Well, they didn't even try that. They didn't? No. They weren't going to deny that she did it. Their angle was, yeah, she did it, but it was self-defense. They completely threw out the theory of two intruders. They're like, we have another story for you. They absolutely did. Once the trial begins, the defense counsel is trying to completely tarnish the reputation that Travis had built himself, you know, among his friends and family, co-workers. They accuse him of being physically and mentally abusive towards Jody. And they go as far as accusing him of being a pedophile. Wow. That's low. Yeah. While on the stand, Jody alleged that she had walked in on Travis masturbating to child pornography. Oh my gosh. The defense also played a recording of a phone call between Jody and Travis where he was talking about tying her up to a tree, blindfolding her, and having his way with her. This was a 
phone sex call between them because mm-hmm. at that point they were a, a couple. Right. And they proceeded to have phone sex, but this was being played in the courtroom from beginning to end. After they both reached orgasm, Travis tells Jody, and I quote, You sound like a 12-year-old girl having her first orgasm. Oh, Travis. That was not a good move. She says, excuse me, what did you say? Like, pretending she didn't hear him? He says it again. Ew. Sorry, that gives me the heaves a little bit. I don't want to, like, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So, this, of course, was devastating to hear, not only as an outsider, but... The family was in the gallery yeah, the entire really time. that's really uncomfortable. They had no idea that Travis was um, as sexually active as he was. Or, or how he kinky sexual... he was. Right. And, I mean, this evidence completely uh, shattered that image a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I'll bet. <laughs> so, I mean... A little bit. <laughs> Just a pinch. A little bit. I mean, unfortunately, in the defense's favor, it started to plant a little seed of maybe this idea of him being like a sexual deviant isn't too far-fetched. Right. And maybe he was having dark sexual thoughts. An interesting piece about this case is that, and I find this very interesting, I don't record my phone calls on my personal cell phone. I'm sure you don't. Mm-mm. I don't know of anyone that does. No. Nope. The phone that this recording had been made on, Jody at first thought she'd lost it. A family friend found it and turned it into the defense. Now, it's never known why it was recorded in the first place. Some theorize that this goes to the premeditation. And maybe she had told him that that's what she wanted to hear. Mm. And she recorded that knowing that he would be saying something like that. It's just a theory. Interesting theory. Or maybe she recorded it because she was going to listen to it again later. Maybe. Weirdo. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Moving right along. So we know that her her story changes from the intruder story to now the self-defense. So now her new version goes like this. She indeed goes over to his house. They have sex. They end up just having a little photo shoot amongst themselves. He ends up in the shower. She's taking pictures of him at this point. Mm-hmm. She accidentally drops the camera. And this is the point where Travis is completely pissed, jumps out the shower, And body slams her on the tile floor. She said that she was able to get away from him and ran into the walk-in closet. The same one that she had been held up by the intruder in. Mm -hmm. And remembered that Travis had a lockbox in there with a gun. Took the gun out because it's a walk-in closet. She ran out the other door. Travis was there chasing her down the hall. She took the gun with both hands, was pointing it at Travis just as a get away from me. She said she was really fearful for her life. As Travis lunged at her, the gun went off. 
But don't the ballistics show that this was her grandparents' gun? So that gun was never found. The actual gun that shot the shot was never found. Right. But so did they, they just have the casing. Is it both the gun that Travis had and the grandparents had both twenty five caliber? It's not recorded anywhere that Travis owned a gun. Okay. Interesting. Did he have a black box with a... There was never a box or any guns in his so name. So she just made it up. She just made it up. Okay. Jody went on to say on the stand that she does not remember stabbing him 27 times. She does not remember <laughs> slashing his throat ear to ear and almost decapitating him. She's like... I don't know. I blacked out. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. It's claiming amnesia. And there's so many. The prosecutor in this case was ruthless with her, which I love because he almost took the role of the entire public and what the public wanted to do, which is just shake her and be like, no, you stupid bitch. Tell us what the fuck happened. Yeah. Stop fucking Your story lying. doesn't make any sense. Right. Stop so pretending it does. She claims this episode of memory loss and she has the details all wrong she's making you know symptoms and every expert that goes up there they're like no you don't just lose two months and then go back to normal right or you don't lose three hours and go back to normal unless that happens you know every two months but it doesn't just happen once in your life and then never happen again. Right. So very clearly ruled out that it's not memory loss. It's not amnesia. It's not PTSD. She's just fucking lying. Right. About not remembering. After the defense and the prosecution delivered their closing statements, the jury had a very hard decision to make because the prosecution was asking for the first degree murder conviction, which in Arizona comes with the possibility of the death penalty. The, ju- mm. the jury deliberated for a painstaking four days. The media erupted during these four days, speculating what could be happening, what kind of conversations they could be having. Mm-hmm. The jury finally announces that they have reached a verdict. To the hundreds and hundreds of spectators that had gathered outside the courthouse, It was a great relief that they had found her guilty of first-degree murder. Minutes after being convicted of murder, Jody sat down with a local news station. (laughs) Narcissistic as fuck. Okay. She was like round two with Inside Uh, Edition. (laughs) And then... Excuse me. I'd I'd like to update my previous statement about how I'd never get convicted. So get this. This is what she says. Minutes after being... Convicted of murder. She goes on camera and says death would be the ultimate freedom and that she would rather get the death penalty because the sentencing hasn't happened yet. And Arizona was like, okay. Two weeks after the verdict had been read, making her guilty of first degree murder, sentencing stage began. Impact statements were read by Travis's family. They all stood in a podium directly in front of the jury. There was not a dry eye in the room. They were all very good statements. Now, Travis's family weren't the only ones to take the podium. Jody also took the podium. To talk I didn't to think the they jury. allowed that. They sure did. 
I don't love that idea so, so much. I'd be like, no, no, you can have your moment when begging you're actually for being... her life at this point. What? Because it's death penalty or life sentence. She just said she wanted it. Right. So she's retracting that. Oh my gosh. And begging for her life. Girl, make up your mind. So during her very underwhelming speech, she pulls out, literally out of a bag of tricks, she pulls out a white t-shirt that has the word survivor on it. Oh no. And says that she plans on selling these while she's in prison and donating 100% of the proceeds to domestic violence survivors. Oh my, Lanta. Keep in mind that this was in front of the same jury that convicted her. So, so I'll bet you they're not impressed. The jury heard all the statements and they went off to deliberate. They I didn't realize that a jury is the one that did sentencing. I always thought it was a judge. I don't know if it's State an Arizona case. thing. Yeah. The jury announced that they could not come to a unanimous decision. Which there is why I thought it was always a judge that did this. Eight for the death penalty and four for life in prison. Mm-hmm. The judge literally had no choice but to call it a mistrial. A, a mistrial based on sentencing? Yep. Here's where we're going to explain a little bit of the legal system in Arizona. Oh, okay. So that meant that the defense and the prosecution had to do it all over in front of a new jury. Oy. The only difference this time, though, would be that they did not have to prove her guiltiness because they already proved that she's guilty. Yeah. They just have to... Prove the premeditation. Yes, exactly. So, and the reason for why they're, why they're asking for the death penalty. Got it. Okay. So, this was all again presented to a new jury. After deliberating, this jury also could not come to an agreement. Mm. This time, there was 11 for death penalty, one for life sentence. So, again, a mistrial. Under Arizona law, the prosecution can only try for the death penalty twice under the same conviction. If there's no decision made after two tries, it's up to the judge, which I think it should have been in the first place. But the judge ultimately decided to sentence Jody to the rest of her natural life in prison without the possibility of parole. I'm okay with that. That's fine. And that's the case of Travis Alexander and Jody Arias. So she sits in Arizona jail right now. Or prison, I'm sorry. She, oh, there is a video of her. She won a Christmas singing contest while in jail. So she's doing good. Cute. Did she get a trophy? Um, no, because she probably used that as a shank. So they probably Probably gave her a a candy bar or something. Commissary. (laughs) commissary credit yeah <laughs> but what's fascinating is that her demeanor was very casual through the entire trial except for a couple times where she was on the stand and she pulled out some crocodile tears and the prosecution was like were you crying when you stabbed him were yeah. you crying when you shot him i'm sorry to go back to the order that things happened in yeah the coroner said because of the amount of blood, it happened stabbing, shot, slash. Okay, got it. She stabbed him 27 times and then shot him and then cut his throat. Yep. Excessive. So. 
you know, some guys are so right now things. thinking, wow, my girlfriend sounds really great. And other guys are side-eyeing <laughs> their girl right now. <laughs> there are mixed feelings in the room. They're like, the, why did you just dye your hair? Just <laughs> Change your hair, change your life. <laughs> Jody Arias is fucking crazy. That's it. That's my story. I'm over here grinning because I'm like, fuck yeah, I got this bitch done and over with. Like, I don't want I, I love talking Jody about Jody Arias is done. <sighs> cross her off. Done, done, done. I am going to cross her off. It would have been uh, really interesting to see Arizona or that jury convict her to, um, or sentence her to death penalty. Uh, just would have been, it was so close that second time though. 11 to 1. Yeah. That was a lot closer than 8 to 4. I feel like those are people that they would ask, that, like me, for example, where they'd be like, are you open to the death penalty when they're doing jury selection? And I'd be like, uh, yeah. Maybe? But then when I actually like go to do it, I'd be like, I don't know that I can do this, you know? And then they're the ones that like vote no because right. they're all of a sudden have a change of heart and they're like, I can do it. And the four person to the first jury admittedly is the one that was holding up the first conviction, the actual murder conviction, mm-hmm. just because he said he was struggling with the premeditation. She tried to do the whole innocent girl thing mm-hmm. while she was on the stand, which, mind you, she was on the stand, I think, for a total of five or six days. Too much. Which is a long time. Yeah. Because the cross-examination took alone, like, four days. That's where you get what you pay for. So You're free defense attorney that you got puts you Put on the on stand, stand she should not well have. because they had to exp- i don't know yeah they should this whole case was televised was putting her on the stand a lot of chances were taken mm-hmm. and i mean ultimately the defense got the bare minimum which is not death good for them yeah she's <laughs> proud of that actually okay all right know any other crazy stories let us know (laughs) hit us up and these are the ways that you can do it (laughs) you can follow us on instagram at a stranger danger podcast you can email us at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at stranger danger colon a true crime podcast and also follow on twitter at sd true crime pod Thank you so much, and we will chat with you all next time. See ya. Bye. Also, sorry, it's been raining really hard, so I can't really edit out the rain because Mother Nature. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag Morgan.